Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Eliza Gomes in memory of Kirshen Hanoch Ben Yosef. Thank you so much. So the mimer that we'll be talking about this week is the mimer Yaviu Levosh Malchus, also from Terra R. Um, this mimer goes in a little bit of a, di- a different direction than the last mimer that we were talking about. Um, in the mm-hmm. last mimer, we were sort of talking about the king and Esther. So the relationship between um, Esther being the soul and the king being Hashem. And so that dynamic. In this case, we're going to be approaching a different theme of Purim, which is the theme that Purim was the completion of Matan Terah. Um, so Matan Terah began um, at Harsinai, and when at, at the end of the Megillah, when it says Yehudim, that the Jews accepted um, the Yantip of Purim, because I'll explain that this was also them accepting, completing their acceptance of Matantera. Right. So um, this is the idea that we're going to explore a little bit more in this mimer. Okay. Um, it's a very, very deep mimer. Lots of slightly difficult concepts. <laughs> I edited out some of them, but um, we're going to tackle some of these more deep ideas in this mimer. So hopefully... Sounds exciting. Get some some good understanding. All right. So um, the passage that this mimer is referencing, Yaviu Lavash Malchus, Asher Lavash by Hamelat, you'll bring him in the in the garments of you'll bring him the garments of the king that the king wears, and the horse that the king rides, Asher Nisin, Kesar Malchus, and you'll place the king's um the king's crown on his head. And this passage is, um, comes up in the conversation between Ahasuerus and Haman. And Ahasuerus is unable to sleep at night and he calls in his advisors or his, rather his storytellers who read for him from his book of records regarding um, the time that Mordechai saved his life, and Ahasuerus realized, oh, I never paid Mordechai back. So he sees Haman wandering in the gardens, because Haman is planning to hang Mordechai, and he gets all excited, needs to check out his hanging spot. And so he sees Haman um, wandering in the the garden of his palace, (laughs) and he approaches Haman, and he says, you know, what do I do? What what should be done to the man who the king wishes to honor? And Haman, assuming right. that this is himself, says, thinks of his uh, Haman being the power hungry um, advisor to the king that he is. His ultimate, his ultimate reward would be to sort of sit in the seat of the king. Um, so right. he comes up with this plan of, you know, put him on the king's garments, put him on the king's horse, have him wear the king's crown and bring him through town saying this should be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. And so that's what this Pesach is referring to. Um, That's the context of this Pesach. So in this case, again, we're going to be talking about the king referring to Hashem. And again, this is is a recurring theme because um, throughout the Megillah, it actually doesn't say Hashem's name. So Hamelech is read on a deeper level as having a double meaning of also meaning Hashem. So um, so what we're going to first try to tackle in order to understand a bit more this theme that I mentioned earlier of Purim being the completion of Matantara, in order to understand this theme, we're going to try to understand what does it mean all of these elements that the king has, his, his garments, his horse, his crown, what does that mean in reference to God? Um, we know that everything physical in this world is a rep- is created in the image of God. So the fact that a king does have special garments and does wear a crown and has his 
royal horse um, is a representation of something spiritual that the king Hashem, some spiritual element of the king Hashem. So right. in this case, what are these what are these garments referring to on a spiritual level? That's what we're mm-hmm. going to try to understand. Okay. So in order to do that, we're going to back up a bit more and talk about an argument that is had in the Gemara, in Chazal. This argument is, what is more important, Kaira or Mitzvah? Which one has is greater? Is it greater to be involved in learning Kaira or is it greater to be involved in doing Mitzvah? And it's a back and forth debate. On the mm-hmm. one hand, you would think that um, learning Torah is the greatest is the greatest thing that we can do um, because it's again it's something that's maybe a little bit more lofty. Not everyone has equal opportunities in Torah learning, um, and it's you know something that a Jew is supposed to be invested in fully. And in order to do it, he has to first learn about that, right? So that in itself is a mile right. of Torah. But at the same time, if you're learning Torah instead of doing a mitzvah that you're supposed to be doing at that time, for example, if it is Sukkot morning and you're supposed to be shaking your lulav and asrach, or you're even just, you know, another example would be it's Zman Tefillah, you're supposed to be davening, or any other right. time that you can have an opportunity to do a mitzvah and you're learning Torah, that's not seen as something positive, right? Ultimately, you're right. supposed to be doing the mitzvah. So in that case, it seems like the mitzvah is overriding Torah. Right. Then, it seems I'll, like ultimately the purpose. It's like it seems like ultimately the of purpose the of any learning should be to do the mitzvah. So the exactly. mitzvah would seem to be the ultimate. Right. And then Chazal sort of rebut that by saying, "Yeah, but that's only in the case of a mitzvah that you, that you have to do. If there's someone else around to do the mitzvah, then you don't have to stop learning Torah to do the mitzvah." So, right. like, again, no one can shake Lulav and Esrik for you, but if you can send a shliach to give tzedakah instead of you, then you can still engage in doing, in learning that, like, you're supposed to stick to learning Torah rather than going to do the mitzvah if someone else can do it. So there's, like, this right. back and forth. And at the end of the day, the conclusion is sort of that they each have their own myla. Right? So they each have right. an edge over the other. Tyra has mm. its edge, and mitzvahs have its edge. And in our case, we're going to talk about why are mitzvahs greater. And um, this is something that we actually discussed in the past memorandum a little bit. And, we're, and this is going to go through a bit of a discussion, a, a slightly different discussion, but coming to a very similar conclusion of why are mitzvahs greater than Tyra. So right. just talking on a very um, simple level first, what is the difference between Tyra and mitzvahs? You know, what, okay. what is like the, the basic difference, I would say, mitzvah is like at, in the world of action, right? Mitzvahs usually require some sort of physical activity. Yes, there are mitzvahs also of the mind and the heart, but the vast majority of mitzvahs are requiring um, some sort of dealing with either objects, right? The physical world, like we're, we're dealing with stuff when we do mitzvahs. Mm-hmm as opposed to Tara is all right. in the mind. It's a lot more spiritual. Right? So right. is it like mind versus thought versus action? Or is it like physical versus spiritual? Or is it both? I think it's a little bit of thought both. can be right. Because you could be learning Tara and you could be learning a very like physically oriented part of Sarah, like, you know, parts of Gemara that are, like, super physical, like, you know, just talking about, like, dealing with halacha. Physical scenarios, physical, dealing with, like, very, yeah, dealing with very practical halacha um, doesn't seem that spiritual. Right, but at the same time, you're not actually engaging in anything physical. So, just the fact that it's the mind, I guess you could just say rather, like, intangible. It's not, I mean, the, the, the concepts right. could be tangible. Like, they, you can grasp them with your mind. Um, and at the same time, first of all, let's say learning Gemara today, 
a lot of what we're learning, however physical it is, it's also not relevant. So it's like not physically relevant to us, right? Let's say so most of the success, yeah, oh, yeah. many of the success of their team, it just can actually be fulfilled. So in Gullis. Mm -hmm. So you can be, you know, going a back and forth discussion on, um, on a topic of, you know, even let's say uh, if you're in Chutzal Aris, you could be going back and forth about the complex laws of true misomisers. Right. And it's not necessarily physically relevant. So it has sort of an element of abstraction, I guess you can say, as opposed to a mitzvah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So we would say, let's say, terrorism is in the world of Chachma, in the world of intellect. And the mitzvahs are in the mm -hmm. world of, of Misa. And it doesn't mean there's right. no Chachma involved. It doesn't mean you're not thinking about doing the mitzvah. And that, where we, we were talking about, you know, the power of intention when doing a mitzvah, which is very powerful. So, you know, but at the end of the day, the mitzvah is not done if you just do it with your mind. It needs to actually physically achieve. Yeah. Awesome. So to understand a bit of, of why this is, that Tara is in that more, I guess you could say, intellectual realm as opposed to Mistress being in the more physical realm, um, we can look a little bit at, at the energy that brings um, the Tara into existence versus the energy that enables the, exist the allowance for mitzvahs. So when Hashem created the world, and we spoke about this a bit in the last in the last podcast, which was on the Mimer Vayeshet Hamelach Esther, we spoke a little bit about how um, God created the world with you know Seder Hashdalshulis by you know letting a very small ray of light back in back into the darkness, and that ray of light dims down, and and sort of there's a cause and effect of of getting lower and lower and lower and lower moving down, but you can like sort of trace where the energy is coming from. And you can see like how the world of let's say Asiya is coming out of the world of Yitzhira. It's like, it's obvious how um, the levels of light are contracting and getting smaller commensurate to the level that's above them. And this we discussed in the last podcast. So the, um, that's the idea of 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 the creation when it works in a manner of ilava alo. When you're creating something through sort of like a logical sequence of cause and effect. And so when Hashem created the world, right. he utilized this, this tool of ilava alo in creation. And so we start, let's say, you know, Hashem used his spheres, his um, to create the world. And the highest sphera is the level of Chachma, right? So that's the first of the spheres. So Chachma is sort of that, that, that beginning point in creation, that first flash of the idea of creation, right? Mm -hmm. That's Chachma. So it's a connected, it's super connected to the R and Tef because it's coming out of, right? It's sort of like that first flash of the idea. The first flash of the idea when it comes up in your head, it's coming from the depth of who, it's sort of coming from like the deepest parts of who you are, right? You can't connect that first flash to something before that. It's sort of that beginning point. Right. Yeah. There, there right? is no cause to that flash. Exactly. So it's very, you can say, you can see that in that moment of creativity, it's like a very deep part of yourself that's being expressed. It has a connection to that deepest part of yourself, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's already an expression of that deepest part of yourself. And contained within that flash of the idea is the end result of where you're going to take that idea. It already has that potential. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So you're going to have that flash of the idea. You're going to work totally. with it. It's going to go down through the world of Bina. You're going to flesh it out. Um, das, you're going to really cut, comprehend it and make it into something real. And as a result of that, it's going to enter into your emotions and move through all your different emotions until it might even come out into being something that um, is something actualizes from that idea. Right? Yeah. But in each step, you can trace how it was a result of the step before. 
Exactly. Which means that the end result is connected to the beginning and it's obvious and you see that process, which ultimately means right. it's like that the, the logical conclusion. Exactly. In our case, though, what we're saying, what we're going to say with Altrevisad is that shows that it's not actually connected. It's not actually, it can't actually be traced to the RN site itself. You can't say, being that it comes out as something that is, that can go so low, it's proof, the fact that it's going through this process, it's proof that it's merely expression and that it's not the RN safe itself. It's not the highest level. Anything that's in the world of ilavala logical movement is not connected to the source itself. It's a step removed from the source because the source can't be encapsulated into something so physical. Right. As opposed to when God is, when God decided, when God created the physical world, there were two methods that he used. He used this method of Elav al where the light sort of is being dimmed and it's sort of like this logical system where you can trace how the system works. But he also used another system. And this is the system. So there's two systems sort of working at the same time. The other system would be called the system of Dilog, which means there's a leap, there's a jump. And right. when we say a leap or a jump, we mean that we can't trace one, the end result to the beginning. And that, um, that leap is what gives the world its existence. The life force that keeps the world in creation is the life force of Ilava Alul, or in this case, we'll say Mumalik Alman. It fills the world in a logical way. Uh, angels will have higher levels of light because they express God in a more obvious ways. And an ant will have a little less, will have a lot less light because it expresses God a lot less. So it's like this logical, systemic um, energy that. Um, gives the world life but the fact right, that the like world like exists exactly there's a hierarchy and it's and each level can be traced back to the level before mm -hmm. but the very fact that the world exists doesn't come from an ilava alul because it needs to be yeshmayan it makes no sense for there to be a world it makes no sense for there to be existence mm -hmm. so in that so on that level we can't have a cause and effect, but rather it needs to be what we said before, yeshma, I am something from nothing. It doesn't come from the level above it. It's just something from nothing. There wasn't a world, and now there is a world. It's a jump. Right. It's a leap. And that's what allows for existence. And on right. that and level... Like look, it's like how like yeah. if you look into the source, you won't be able to see like, oh, that's this is going to be the conclusion of that. Like Exactly. Like, when you look into the the ion when you look into like like just god himself you don't see like oh it makes sense that there's going to be a world comes out of that exactly exactly we don't even exist in potential and in, in, within god himself right yeah. and then all of a sudden there's a world that requires like that leap um and um that that general vivifying energy is not it, it doesn't like it doesn't um, give more energy. There isn't more of it in something that's more spiritual and less of it in something that's less spiritual. Right? Because mm -hmm. it's not something that's like given, that's like logical or metered out or moving a, a, along like a systemic um, giving of energy. But rather, yeah. all, all of creation has that element of the fact that it is equally right and exactly in fact the strange thing about this sort of energy is that the more physical this something is the more obviously removed it is from its source right something that's physical sort of denies god a lot more than something that's spiritual and therefore is more obviously mm -hmm. removed from the source 
And therefore, in its very mm-hmm. existence, it on a certain level has a greater level of this isness than something that's spiritual. It speaks right. to it speaks to this element of Yeshma Ayan much greater than something that is spiritual. Because it's an actual right. yesh that says I am. It's hiding God. You know, it's not expressing God, but it is, it speaks to this level of Yeshma'ayim. It expresses this level of Yeshma'ayim, this element of Saivev, a lot stronger. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. It's like so counterintuitive. Right. Because there's no revelation, it's sort of like this. When something has revelation of God, so you think you can trace it back to God, it makes sense that this came from God. Something spiritual, an angel, it makes sense that the angel came from God. It makes sense that even a soul came from God, right? Right. So you can trace back and you can see where, where that life force began. And that distracts you from the fact that it also is an existence that is also from Yeshma'ayin. Right. right. Like you think you could trace it back without really exactly. realizing that actually for, even for that to exist, there has exactly. to have it's, been the potential for existence. Exactly. And it's like when um, if you have the 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 example that's given Hasidus from Salat is the R versus the Ma'ar, the light right. versus the source of the light. When the source of when the light is super blinding. Let's say if I have a really strong light bulb, I don't actually see the light bulb itself. Right? Right. I only see the light that's coming out of it. It blinds me from being able to see the source of the light. If I can see the rays of the sun, then I can't see the sun because they're too blinding. You can't see the sun itself. Exactly. Um, Another example that Hasidus often brings for this um, and actually, it's brought later again in this same Mimer's Hall reference back to it is um, is actually the power of childbirth. Um, where, you know, um, parents create a new creation. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's almost like in the elements where the child is exactly like is very similar to the parents. In the elements, let's say, of the personality or appearance where it's like, oh, you know, we're always trying to find that. Like, oh, you're just like the parent. Right. That sort of takes away from the independence of the of the child, right? Right. At the end of the day, this kid is their own. Is its own being. being. And it's specifically in those areas where the child is not so clearly like reflected back on the parent that it's like really see the amazingness of the fact that this is someone new. That right. something new was created. And the power right. of the finish of of childbirth is in the fact in the it's in the fact that this thing is separate from me, not so much in the the fact that this is a reflection of me, exactly. right? It's like so much greater that I can create something different than I can create a little clone of myself. Mm-hmm. And so back to this concept of the R versus the Ma'ar, it's specifically when there's less R that the Ma'ar is more apparent. Right, that the source of the light is more apparent. So right. it's not that you can actually, again, because it's the source of the light, therefore it's not actually being expressed, right? It's the light, it's the ray that expresses the mar, that expresses the source of the light. That's a little confusing. It's just that the in the cases where the light is not so distracting, that's where the source of the light is. It's not expressing because its expression looks like a ray. It looks like it looks like light. Right. It's, it's, but in this case, it actually is. Expression in and of because, itself is an obstruction to that. Exactly. And it's specifically in the light of what we would call saving or what we've been talking about when we, when we have this dialogue and which ends up being represented the strongest in our physical world the yeshma'ayin of our physical world, that we know we're tapping into a much deeper part of God. Not the part of God that can be traced back to, let's say, Chachma, which is just the ray of a ray, but rather to God himself. It's so interesting, like, just occurring to me, like, how, how attractive that light is. And it's like, 
it's like i don't know it's like a moth kind of like flying to like being attracted to the light like we're so attracted to that light that like spirituality like we we seek it so much and we like think that that's where it's gonna be at like like we'll find god we'll find spirituality we'll find truth and it's like right that's really just a distraction from like deeper truth like realer truth not that it's a distraction not that it's not important obviously or real but it's like we have like the realest real like the deepest reality right here like in front of like the computer that i'm sitting at recording this podcast like right yeah right and it's also why you know so many people get stuck if if we're just going to tie this back into what we were saying how there's like a mile to mitzvah over over tire up um it's like it's so easy to get stuck in the world of terror and the world of you know of abstraction and theorizing and then like not implementing that into action because yeah, too easy. that's where that's where the attraction is the attraction is in like the in the intellectual gymnastics um as opposed to in the in the simple actions that are a result of those of those thoughts exactly um it's where you know lots of different you know streams of judaism that maybe are less focused on action it's almost like getting stuck in that in that in the glamour of the of the intellect but sort of missing missing the source right and so it says, like, tachlis chachma. What is the point of the chachma? Tachlis chachma is chuvan maisim tevim. Which means ultimately our goal is to be doing the action because that's, that's getting us to the source itself. And, right. and so, and, and this is like the crazy part. What we, we said before, right? Hashem as he is for himself. He is um, he is Yahid. He is alone. He is exists. He's not impacted by creation. He doesn't care about the world. Right? God doesn't really right. care about the world on, on, in the level of him himself. But then God decided to become the king of the world. Right? God decided to become mm-hmm. king of the world. And this is where we get into our, our concept of Melech, right? God decided, I want to mm-hmm. be a king. And how that jump happened from God being alone to God deciding to want to be a king is a long discussion that unfortunately we don't have time for right now. But it's definitely worth discussing. <laughs> but God decides mm-hmm. to become king of the world. And what happens? He starts giving energy to the, to the world. And he creates this reality of a world that has, that has, that contains his will and contains um, what he wants us to do. And now all of a sudden we have the power now to affect God himself. Because he invested Mm -hmm. into the parts of the world that come from him, that come from him himself, his will. And by me fulfilling his will, I then tap into God himself. Right? Right. And I fulfill his deepest will. And when I fulfill his deepest will, what happens is, is that I trigger that he then engages and gives to the world from this much higher place. Rather than from that lower place of let's say Mamalikam that we spoke about before, I basically trigger by doing a mitzvah, I trigger a flow from Saiyan Kalam. So I like trigger the whole like the whole like uh, the whole system. system of how yeah. things are supposed to go. Exactly. And I trigger a much, much deeper revelation of, of godly energy coming into this world and, and God sort of is engaging in, in this world from a much deeper place. Right. This process of triggering this deeper place, this is what we're talking about when we say the Lavush Yavu Lavush Malchus. Bring the garment of the king. The garment is something that you, you know, when we're not clothed, we're not 
accessible to the public, right? It's sort of like our garments are something that allow, um, allow us to share with the people around us and um, be right. present with people around us. So how do we mm-hmm. trigger God to be king? To be king, we need to get him to put on his lavosh, right? How, how does, excuse me, let me go back. We want God to be our, to be our king. But in order for him to be accessible, he needs to be clothed. He needs to be in this place where he is wearing a garment, right? Because if not, you know, the the emperor without clothes um, mm-hmm. actually has significance over here, right? But he needs to be, the emperor needs to be wearing his clothes. The king needs to be wearing his clothes. In other words, the king needs to put himself into a place where he's able to share with us. Right. And that happens through wearing the lavosh. How do I get the king? I need to, it says, Yaviu Levosh Malchus, bring him his, the cloaks of the king. Through doing the mitzvah, I, I'm sort of bringing God his, his cloak, his, I'm bringing his revelation. I'm allowing him to reveal to me. I'm triggering the revelation of godliness. Right. I am making it that on the deepest levels where I don't matter where the world doesn't matter. I'm making it matter because I'm doing the things that he wants me to do from the depths of his, of his will. Mm-hmm. And therefore triggering revelation from that deep place. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So that's what, remember we started off saying the king, what, what, how is the king going out now? He's going out first. He's going to put on his, his clothes and he also wears his crown and he also was riding on his horse right so we address right. the cloak first the cloak is um the garments are the the means which he expresses the world into creation which i trigger through the action of doing a mitzvah right yeah when i'm doing a mitzvah there are two parties that are involved there's the thing that i'm doing the mitzvah with and then there's also me myself, right? So right. in in halachic discussion, we have the chetza and the gabra, the the right. person who's doing the mitzvah and the item that the mitzvah is being done with. Um, so mm-hmm. everything we've discussed until now is what happens when we engage with the world, aka the impact that we're having upon the world um, in the fact that I'm revealing God in this world, right? So the fact mm-hmm. that I'm revealing God in this world triggers extra energy to flow into the world, right? Right. But when I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm also revealing God within myself because I'm saying, hey, I could use this thing for any number of purposes, but instead I'm using it to fulfill God's will. But it's having an impact on me as well. I'm revealing godliness within me as well. And when I do that, I actually give God the greatest pleasure because it's not just that I'm fulfilling his will, but I'm fulfilling his will with intention. We discussed this in the first, in the first episode, the fact that when we, I connect my will to his will, then we trigger the deepest levels of God's pleasure. In Mm -hmm. Hasidus, when we're talking again about um, Shem and Seder Stalshalus, and we're talking about like sort of like the Kabbalistic um, map of creation higher mm-hmm. than Seder Stoshalos, like we've said earlier, higher than Elav Olol and everything is a level of Kesar. Kesar means literally crown. Kesar is Rutten and Tainug, or rather I should say Tainug and Rutten because Tainug comes first. Pleasure and will, those are the two things that are higher than consciousness, deeper than consciousness that sort of um, um, trigger every other action that we're going to take, every thought we're going to have is how it impacts us on the level of kind of genretsu, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. sorry, that's this extremely lofty level, deep, deep, deep level within God. When yeah. I do a mitzvah, the fact that I'm bringing godliness into the world, that's putting God's cloak on, his, his cloak of kingship. When mm-hmm. I, the change that happens within me, the fact that I connect with this intention, the change that happens within the person that's doing the mitzvah, that's crowning the count. That's crowning the king with his crown. That's accessing the place of Tainag and Retin, which are Hashem's Keser, Hashem's crown. I'm putting the crown on the king. 
Right, and, and giving him the greatest pleasure. Exactly, and the interesting thing about a crown, and this is something, you know, about riches in general, or like the splendor of the king, the crown is made up of sort of some of the lowest elements of Earth, right? You have mm-hmm. to mine, to dig the mine for the, for the diamonds and the, and the gemstones and the gold that create the crown. So they're coming from beneath the Earth. But it's specifically like in the crown that like the king has the pleasure in those jewels that, that the king has his greatest pleasure. It's sort of like the greatest symbol of the king. Right. So similarly, it's only through coming down into like the depths of going into the nitty gritties of the world and into the nitty gritties of halacha that we end up sort of crowning, crowning the king with his crown. We create that that um that greatest Heineken and Retzik on the Shem's part. Right. And that's that that's so we've um we've gotten the king into his cloak and his crown. <laughs> so we're left with our horse. So before we get to the horse, we're going to um talk about one more thing. So it says, we've discussed this before, that when Mashiach comes, we said the holiday of Purim is going to exist, even though other holidays are going to be nullified. We spoke about this in episode two. Right. Something else that it says is going to happen when Mashiach comes. This is another Gemara that says something along similar lines. It says that all of like the Nevi'im and Suvim are going to be nullified when Mashiach comes. Except for Halacha, halachis, which I guess you could say is the terror itself, because the terror contains halachis, and Megillah yeah. Sesta. So the rest of Suvim is going to be nullified. The rest of the Nevi'im are going to be nullified. The Megillah Sesta is going to be around, and Halacha is going to be around. Right. And Altrever makes a really interesting parallel. He says, um, Esther, the Megillah, and Halachis represent Esther and Mordechai, our characters in in the Megillah. Um, and he's going to explain why. Esther is the Megillah, and that makes sense. First of all, the Megillah is named after her. And also it goes back to that idea. It says, Esther Minatera Minayim. Where do we see Esther's name in the Torah? And it's Vanechi Hasdar Esther Panabeim Huhu. This we discussed also in the last memory. That yeah. um, Esther comes, the name Esther hints to like the deepest level of concealment of God. Now, why is God so concealed on that level? Why is it so hidden? Why is that level of godliness so hidden? Why can't he just reveal himself? Why can't the deep, those deepest levels of godliness just be revealed? So the explanation for that is because we're not talking about something that can be revealed. We're talking about the ma'ar. We're talking about the source, right? We're talking about the source of the light, not the light. Right. Right. So revelation the is not revealed. like in its realm of possibility. Right. Revelation and essence sort of contradict each other, like we've been saying this whole time. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the reason Esther is hidden is because it's the ma'ar, right? It's the source of the light. So when Mashiach comes, all the other Nevi'im, which are all talking about like expressions of God and revelations of God, that's going to be nullified because it's going to be sort of not so um, obvious in a world that's so flooded with godliness and Hashem himself. Mm-hmm. Right. But Esther being that it's talking about the essence, being that it's talking about the Ma'ar, that's still going to have a relevance when Mashiach comes. Right. Um, an interesting thing is that a similar thing is actually said about Mordechai. Mordechai represents halacha. I guess you could say on a certain level he represents halacha because he's the halacha man in our story who's standing up for the principles of the Torah. Um, But um, the Gemara also asks, Mordechai in the Torah minayim, where does Mordechai come from from the Torah? And it quotes a pasuk in Shemais that's discussing the Torah, and it says over there, Mordechai. And how does Mordechai, doesn't really sound like Mordechai, um, but when you look at Uncleus, the Aramaic translation of Mordra is Mara Dachta, which that, there you can see the roots of the word of the name Mordechai. Mara Dachta. Right. What does Mara Dachta mean? Mara means bitter. Dachta means pure. Now, these two things sort of seem to be contradictory. Like we think purity as something that's like sweet and, and beautiful and nice. And then mm-hmm. Mara means something that's bitter. Right. Right. 
Yeah. So how do these two, how do these two things don't really seem to go together very well. So it's like a, it's like a strange phrase, but mm-hmm. it's specifically sort of the reconciliation of these opposites that we get to our same concept before we're talking about um, that's where the essence lies. Right. In general, when we look at halacha, what is halacha? Like we said before, what are mitzvahs? Mitzvahs are the will of God. Where do mitzvahs hide themselves? They hide themselves in the very physical world, which denies God, right? So okay. the fact that the, that the revelation is hidden, that makes it bitter. It's not so enjoyable, right? It's not something that's right. sweet. That's the element of bitterness. But it also holds a potential for the ultimate purity because it has the potential, again, to be to be um, completely and totally transformed and revealed for holiness, right? Right. Now, the um, ability to do that is only because it comes from the source itself. Because it comes from the ma'ar, it, you're able to have the marriage of these two seemingly opposite things. It's almost right. like when it comes to light, light can only go so far, right? But when it comes to the source of the light, all you have to do is move the source and it can just, you know, the, the source is able to reach a much deeper place. And, a much, and it's able to reach much further. It has this endless potential within it. Uh-huh. Um, wow. This is, again, he brings that example of, of, of childbirth. Like, we can work on ourselves to refine ourselves to become as good as possible using our revealed elements. But it's only mm-hmm. so far that we can take that. Yeah. To create something new, it needs to come from, and you need to have an entirely new, so- new source, right? That's when we, we actually have the potential to become a new source. That's one of oh, the yeah. crazy, that's sort of one of the crazy things that God gave us to be able to sort of understand this idea of, of, a, new, of a new essence is the ability right. to, create, to create an entirely new person. Uh, that's so so Mordechai and Esther both represent these idea of the Mar itself, which is why when Mashiach comes, Mordechai, meaning Halacha, Esther, the Gila, they're representing this idea of the of the source itself, and they're still gonna be around when Mashiach comes. Right. Okay, so now we're gonna go to the idea back to the concept that we opened up with. We still have to get to our horse. <laughs> so we're gonna get to our horse. But um and this is slightly complex. You have to, you have to, you have to keep concentrating. This whole process of us being able to, right? What we're talking about, we're talking about, we're basically what we're saying over here is that us, when we do Tara mitzvahs, when we do mitzvahs, we basically are dressing the king in his cloak and in his crown, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing when we're when we're doing Tara mitzvahs. We are. We are we are uh, dressing up the king, which basically means and and through dressing up the king, we're triggering these amazing flows of energy and light into our world. Right. Right. This process began at Matantara. What happened at Matantara? God gave us the Tara. He gave us the mitzvahs, right? And um, we had a certain bittle. We said Nasevanishma, right? Nasa Vinishma means we'll do your will. And through this, um, through saying we're going to do your will, we were able to access by basically by letting go of our own sort of more limited selves. We were able to access the deepest part of ourselves, which is ourself, which is our soul, which is a part of God. And therefore, we're able to even like, why are we even able to engage in such lofty actions of like tapping into God himself is because ultimately we are a part of a shot. Right. 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 So that's that's sort of the way that Bitzel works is that I let go of my more external self and I'm able to tap into the deepest part of myself. I say, Nazar Nishma, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Even if I don't understand, which means I'm setting my own mind aside. I'm setting my own self aside, right? Right. That process began at Matantara. At Matantara, it says Hashem, one of the images that Yeshaya uses when he's describing Matantara, I believe it's Yeshaya, um, is he describes that Hashem came in riding on his horse. <laughs> what is what what does this horse symbolize? So in this minor, the Alterba explains that the horse symbolizes Hashem had this will, right? Hashem had this will. But somehow, and however much we say that we're um 
however much we say that, you know, we're trying to tap into something that's deeper than expression, at the end of the day, we need, he needed to tell us what his will was. Right. Right? Because <laughs> if I don't know what the will is, we've all been in those frustrating situations where somebody wants something from us, but they're not exactly telling us what it is that they want, right? Oh, yeah. They don't have the means, they don't have the ICS to tell us what, what it is that they want, right? Mm-hmm. So um, God told us what he wants from us. Um, and how did he do that? Through, again, through the Torah and through Halacha, like God, and God has his messengers. And the, so Hashem gives us sort of what we would say, the ICS, the letters of his will, to explain, this is what I want you to do. And that yeah. is the horse. The horse is sort of what you might say is the, the medium for, of transportation. It's the vehicle for us to understand what Hashem wants from us. So like the actual words of the Torah. Exactly. So the king comes riding on his horse. It's the vehicle that he uses to come tell us what it is that he wants from us. Mm -hmm. So he's wearing, so the you can say the lavush and the kesser, that's part of us doing the actual mitzvahs, but we wouldn't know what mitzvahs to do if he didn't come into the picture riding on his horse. Right, if we didn't even know that the king existed, he didn't. He didn't ride out into the crowds on his horse. So you can say that the horse is the words of Tara, of Tara and Talaha, where he's expressing to us what we're what we're doing, what we need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why again the the imagery that Yeshaya said when in the giving of the Torah was that God is coming. God is riding on his horse as he's coming into the world of trans. He's coming into the world of like expression to tell us what it is that we what it is that we need to do. And, on, and at Matan Torah, we began our acceptance of the Torah. But right. at Matan Torah, we weren't necessarily faced with a challenge to accepting the Torah. It was this immense moment of revelation. And of course, it was like, of course, we sort of like lost ourselves because of the revelation. So it was easy to let go of ourselves. Right? It was like almost and involuntary. Yeah, you can say it was almost involuntary. There are many memorandums that discuss this um, further, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Friedrich Rebbe has a very famous memorandum. Um, but again, it, was, it wasn't challenged. This idea, this bitol, this acceptance of the Torah wasn't challenged. The first right. external challenge that really came up to our Yiddishkeit and to our Jewishness was the challenge of Purim. It's the first time that our entire identity was really questioned. The Jews faced hardships definitely before then. Nebuchadnezzar came in um, before then and exiled them, but he wasn't coming. He was coming as a conqueror. Right. It didn't have to do with the fact that you were Jewish. He also conquered many other places, right? Right. Um, The first real test to our faith and to our Jewishness, that's why it says that he, um, Haman, um, decreed against Yehudim. Yehuda, it's an interesting need. It's the first time Yehudim comes up that we're called Yehudim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a strange thing. Why are we called after one Shevet, right? Mordechai is called Mordechai Yehudi. He happened to come from the Shevet of Binyamin, right? He doesn't, he's not right. actually from the Shevet of Yehuda. So it's strange right. that we're called Yehudim. But the point yeah. is that the name Yehudi comes from that element of Haida'a, which is this element of um, bittle, of accepting God as my king. Um, Yehudi means like, I'm opposed to anything other than Jewishness. I'm opposed to idolatry. So the Altarba infers on this, and this is actually a chiddush of the Altarba that's not um, discussed in other places, but um, before him, the Altarba infers from this that if you wanted to convert, Haman wouldn't, like if you would accept idolatry, Haman Mm -hmm. wouldn't kill you. Right. He's only killing the people right. who stand out. And that's why when he's when he's talking to Hashir, she's talking about the Jewish people as a nation that keeps to themselves and stands out and does things differently. Right. So it's specifically mm-hmm. in our doing things differently. So if we chose to assimilate, we wouldn't be targeted. Right. right. And this is the first time that the Jewish people have to choose to remain different, choose to follow the Torah in a time of oppression. This is the first occasion of Messiah's 
Mm-hmm. Snapfash meaning completely and totally giving over my soul, right? Like for the sake of, of Hashem. And this Mesira Snapfash is the ultimate battle, right? It's saying, it's choosing God. It's saying that my own desire, every person has like this, the strongest desire to live, right? That's, that's yeah. like our most natural um, evolutionary desires. It's just like the desire to preserve our own lives, right? The yeah. ultimate battle is when I say, I'm going to allow my soul's desire to override that. And my soul's desire is stay, to stay connected to God. So even if I'm going to lose my physical life, at least I'm going to stay connected to God, right? That's, that's right. what Monsieur Snefish is. Monsieur Snefish is this lack of ability to disconnect from God which makes no sense right? from a physical, from a physical level, right? So mm-hmm. in the, at the time of Purim, we completed this process of accepting God. And again, through that, we're ultimately going through that process of crowning Hashem as our king, choosing Hashem as our king, dressing our God in his royal garments, in his crown, and um, thereby, again, triggering these very, 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 very um, lofty flows of energy into our world, godly energy into our world. Right. And that, is, that, that was a process that was finalized on part and has since then been invoked many, many, many times over history of Jewish people. But, um, but it's definitely Purim was like that, was that was that final occasion and was that, I guess you could say, finalization of Matan Terra, the completion. When you, of say, when you say that was invoked many times, you mean like the ability to have mysterious Nefesh and to choose the ability to have mysterious Nefesh. God exactly. over life. Right. Exactly. Um, now we've covered all of our characters so far. We spoke about, you know, the, how Esther plays the role over here. We spoke about Mordecai playing the role. We spoke about the king. But there is one last character over here that we did not talk about yet, which is Haman, right? Whose idea mm-hmm. was this whole thing to you to dress him in the garments of the king? Who has this idea? This is Haman's, Haman's idea. Uh, uh, right? And that's really strange <laughs> that it's Haman who's coming up with this idea. He's the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's the... He shouldn't be the one, he shouldn't be involved in this whole scheme of, you know, bringing godliness into the world. Right. So this is one last point. Well, we're going to conclude with this point. And again, it goes into a couple of deep concepts, but it's worth it because it, it will really bring everything together. And I think also have a very practical message for us as a result of this point. Right. So Haman, we... We asked the question about the other names, right? We asked about where does Esther come from? Where does uh, Mordecai come from? So they also asked the Chazal also asked the question about Haman. Haman Minatarimayan. And they bring a Pasuk from Boratius discussing the Itadas Hamin Ha'its from this tree that's talking about um, the Itadas. And technically, grammatically, it should really say Min Ha'its. And Rashi actually asks this. It says it should say min ha'etz, but instead it says hamin ha'etz. And so hamin could be, you change the nukudes and it, it reads ha. Right? right? So what is the significance of this? Haman, where does Haman come from? Haman is a gagi. He comes from the, the nation right. of Amalek. Amalek is seen in as the ultimate evil, the quintessential klipa. You could almost call it like the source of all bad is seen as, right. a, as a malik. Why? It's as righteous Gayan Amalek. Haman is, uh, Amalek is the source, is the first, it's the source of negativity. The Das was this like compopulation <laughs> of, of good and evil, right? That's what it was. Eitzadas Taivura. Right. Right? this mixture of good and evil. It contains within it all the nations of the world and all the klipa that represents all the nations of the world. Okay, so it talks about, um, Kabbalah talks about how like all the seven nations of, of Canaan are contained within the Eitz Hadas. But about Haman, what do we say? Hamin Ha'etz. 
the hey actually turns it grammatically in Hebrew into a question. Amin ha'etz? Is it part of the tree? So a Haman coming from a Malik, Haman ha'etz, is he actually part of the tree? Why is it a question, is he part of the tree? It's because he isn't the klipa, but rather the source of klipa. It's almost like higher than klipa. What does Haman represent? What does Amalek represent? Amalek represents the ultimate eagle, the ultimate chutzpah. The source of Haman is the source of ego and chutzpah. And all negativity, all bad, where does all bad come from? All bad comes from ego, right? Ego that's distorted right. and convoluted becomes negativity. It becomes all the other negative traits that a person can have. It becomes all Anytime a person denies God or goes against God or does something bad against another person, it's all sourced in ego, right? Yeah. But we still have a question, Hamin Ha'itz, does it have to be from the tree? It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. There is space for ego to actually be used in a positive way. There's space oh, for positive chutzpah. There's space for positive ego. So it's very, it's very, very, very easy for ego to be attached, to be um, connected to the tree. <laughs> it's very easy for it to go in the wrong way, right? To be utilized negatively. Yeah. But at the same time, it says that a Talmud Chacham needs to have a measure of gaiva. Talmud Chacham needs to have a measure of ego. In this case, what are we talking about? We're talking about a sense of purpose, a sense of pride, a sense of 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 self that enables me to actually get things done. If I live only in the state of bittle, then I feel like I'm nothing. Then I don't do anything, right? Right. I don't actually take initiative. In this case, we're saying who it, it's it's Haman's idea. You can say to dress the king, and it's us who's dressing the king, right? In other words, it needs to come from us first. It's us who's initiating this relationship with God. Right. If I'm in a state of loneliness, do I initiate a relationship? Not really, right? Like when I'm feeling no. unworthy, I don't initiate. I stick to myself. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy specifically in a relationship with God. Am I going to make myself, am I going to, you know, who am I to be fulfilling God's will? Right? I'm nothing. Exactly. So that's where this whole time we're talking about, you know, the necessity of the right. serious method and giving up on myself. But that needs to come together. It goes hand in hand with having also a healthy sense of self and purpose and mission. That's where, you know, this is like what, what gets confusing when we're talking about, you know, the negation of self. And we touched on this last time. You know, it's easy to think of it as just like, you know, being like, a completely and totally personalityless, yeah. um, you know, just sort of going with uh, going with other people's ideas and just you know completely negating the self. And over here, it's like you know, there's even a role for Haman in the story, right? There's even a space for Haman to have a positive impact. Impact, obviously, needing to be transformed and, and and in the right dosage and with the proper frame of mind and and first recognizing how how little I have for myself and then am I able to also tap into my true purpose and understanding that my deepest self is God and that's why I'm even able to do any of this. But it's this healthy it's this healthy ego, this healthy right. sense of self that enables me to 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 get any of this done. That enables me to initiate the relationship. That enables me to realize that, hey, I'm someone who actually can have an impact on the world. You need to be in that frame of mind to be operating. Like all this that we've been talking about this whole time is that when I do a mitzvah, I have like this crazy impact on the world. And that requires a sense of self and a sense of confidence. Yeah. And that's how Haman comes into play in the story. This was, you know a little bit more of like an exposition into, into the actual words of the puzzle um, and into some of the characters and understanding again, how, what this means on like a broader, on a broader level and on a cosmic level, as we said, as we said last time, but also as it's being caused by us. It's a lot, it's a lot 
like there's a lot going on here. What I'm like trying to like make sense of is like mm-hmm. the relationship between like I mean, we, if it's all it's kind of we say we say everything's based on the foundation of Bittal. And then ego plays a role as well. Um and it's like how do those two really coexist because they seem they feel very contradictory is it like is it like the bittle is that like the acknowledgement or the awareness that like my essence is is you know one with godliness and that's who i am and that's and then and then like and then on top of that i need to take like my by being and serve Hashem with that, like I'm just trying to figure out like that interplay kind of thing, like where right. the, the hum dynamic, like right. I I think maybe a little bit what we're saying here is like you could say okay, so again, Haman is just this idea of of uh, in general like this this pure this you can say just like this ultimate ego, right? Mm-hmm. that's what it is now ego is sense of meaning in this case just like this sense of self right we've been saying this whole time that that self is a reflection of essence right as in the more something feels itself the more it's connected and on a certain level to the mar to the to the ultimate who, who is the ultimate who is the ultimate oh, oh. self is God, right? Oh, so it's right. sort of like this idea of yasha nivran yasha miti, right? right? Where, where the only way for um for for there to exist self sense of self is because it's reflecting off the ultimate who really is who whose existence is actually true is God's existence, right? Uh, and okay. and it's Hashem's existence that's allowing me to have my own sense of existence as well. Right. And, okay. So the, so we're saying like recognizing in my own sense of existence, recognizing within my own exactly. ego. Exactly. That, really that stems from God too. Of the the like in infinity, the like incredible like unlimitedness of like who I am and my existence in this world and like my purpose here. Exactly. And like uh, it's it's actually and, and it's through that recognition that I actually make myself um necessary and significant too. You know, that's where like I'm um, I'm tapping into my true significance because other ego, like ego as it manifests just in a very human way, you know, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> the thought of death scares us because right. it's like it it's then I'm then I'm gone and I'm I'm done and and what have I what have I achieved, and that leads mm-hmm. to like you know cri- crisis of identity and all and all that you know, um and and so like at the end of the day like I'm channeling the truest part of myself, um and through this recognition that again this sense of self is not it, it, I shouldn't necessarily be beating up the fact that I have an ego rather it's like. It's it's a symbol of the fact that I come from God, the true self from God. Now, how can I make those two more one and and think more alike, as opposed right. to thinking the way that my ego naturally chooses to think? So, like, how do I like kind of get my ego more? like aligned with the the truth of what it's like how do i get my ego to stop kind of hiding what it really is and start revealing what it really is instead right it's like defining bittle as synchronization instead of nullification right where it's Mm -hmm. more like this process of like synchronizing my animal self which is which kind of has that my animal self is what's giving me that sense of self right yeah my my animal the the because that's what it is it's that that's responsible for the ego we don't destroy the animal self we want to synchronize the animal self with my godly self 
right. so that their identity sort of merge. And so I get the advantage of the animal soul, which is this power and passion, this, um, this, um, this isness, this real physical expression together yeah. with the power of my godly soul, which is, I just want to be one with God. Right. And that, and this is also like very empowering when it comes to like embracing your uniqueness in this world and how like you have an individual purpose here that nobody else can achieve. Exactly. You as like a physical person are exactly. so unique from exactly. every other person. And like, you could only really embrace that when it's like, just you like, just you tap into just how like, holy that is, you know what I mean? Like right. how it's like not an accident. It's like, it's right. like so intentional and so um, needed, like your unique physical quirks and and ideas and whatever it is that comes along with your like physical being right and you just like like you said like that that's the point it's like it's it's uh it's just making that part of ourselves a little bit more transparent to the to the soul that's that's inside right um while still maintaining its unique form Exactly. And it's, it's, what's incredible is how that doesn't have to be a contradiction. Like that's, what's like the mind blowing part of this is because you feel like making yourself more transparent will mean that you'll end up like kind of looking like this, you know, cookie cutter, um, like great good Jew. Like there is no cookie cutter good Jew. Like you exactly. And if you're going to that cookie cutter space, it means that you haven't actually that you're imposing something on yourself and you're just living in the world of, of either it's some often that's actually coming from ego too, because it's like, oh, it's a certain picture that I think is better than another picture. For sure. As opposed to like embracing again, embracing embracing the self because it's the true, because it's connected to the true deep self. Right. And like, ultimately, when we, we tie this back to like mitzvahs, it's like, just do more mitzvahs. Like, right. Like, <laughs> and just do them again. Like, if, if we talk about even like the, the discussion that was happening in the Gemara earlier, yeah, there are some mitzvahs that anyone can do, right? Mm-hmm. And so for those mitzvahs, if you want, you don't have to do them. Engage, engage <laughs> in learning Torah instead. But then right. there are mitzvahs only you can do. Right? right, and that means that it, there's something about you and your uniqueness that that needs that needs to make that mitzvah happen. <laughs>